Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover inside the house there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I'm just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Oh, not for me, oh, not for me, that fatal toy of gems and gold. Blood on its ermined band I see, and thorns are in its silken folds. Let me the shaded pathway keep, remote from wild ambition's glare, nor lead me to that dizzy steep, for clouds and storms are gathering there. She died, that glory of her age, as never Roman heroine died. And Britain's history has no page dearer to British woman's pride. That was uh, a poem by the American writer Eliza Leslie. She wrote it in 1833, and it is about the subject of the last podcast we did and this podcast, Lady Jane Grey, uh, Lady Jane Dudley, Queen Jane, however you want to call her, the nine days queen, the 13 days queen. Uh, very, the woman very of a thousand kind of, names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very difficult to pin down. And Dominic, in part one, um, we we set up the, the, the situation. We introduced all the various characters um, and we left Jane in tears in the long gallery at Cyan House, um, proclaimed queen by uh, the Duke of Northumberland, power behind Edward VI throne, ardent Protestant. And he has kind of... Um, he has signed up to Edward VI's wheeze to keep his, Catholic, his elder Catholic sister Mary from the throne by essentially saying that uh, Jane should become Queen Jane the First. So, yes. um, so that's the state of play. So Jane has has burst into tears. Um, how long does it take her to get her composure back and to to agree to become queen? Presumably, I mean, what if she had turned around and said, no, I don't want this. Mary's the legitimate queen because she knew Mary quite well, didn't she? I mean, they were, they were cousins. They, of course they are cousins. She knows, she knows Mary. And of course there's, there are two people who she might think could, could um, succeed instead of her. So one is Mary and one is Elizabeth. Um, yeah. So Mary's 37. We talked about her in the last episode. She's a Catholic. Um, she's been a victim all her life. And the other person is Elizabeth. She's also been a victim in a way. She's, she's 20. 
Uh, she's a Protestant. She could succeed too. Why doesn't Jane? Jane clearly has doubts from the beginning. You can tell by her incredulity and by the tears. I mean, obviously she's mourning her cousin Edward, um, but she's in shock that she has been, this sort of chalice has been handed to her. Uh, why doesn't she? Because she's used, I would say, Tom, to being bossed around by men. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everybody, all these bigwigs, all the big men of the realm are basically saying to her, you're the queen. They're kneeling to her. She's in, she's stunned. She hasn't been prepared for it. She hasn't been trained. Nobody has said to her, you know, even weeks beforehand, somebody could have said to her, listen, get ready, sort yourself out, start looking at maps and thinking about tax plans. You're, you're yeah. going to be the yeah. queen. Yeah. Nobody has said this to her. She's 15 yeah. years old. Um, and of course, what do te- you know, what does a 15 year old do when all the, the most powerful people in the realm are saying you are the monarch? I mean, ultimately by the evening, it's clear that she has, she has agreed. Well, we, we've got a couple of questions here. Uh, one from Lauren Dillon. I'm curious how much of a role Jane herself played in her ascension to the throne. Was she manipulated or ambitious? And how did she feel about Mary personally? So your answer to that would be that she, you know, she's manipulated into it. She's not an agent. Um, yeah. And again, reasonable doctor, how much was she a pawn in the power struggles of more powerful men? And how far was she complicit in her ascension to power? I mean, so, so she's a she's not complicit in her ascension to power, but the question of how, how much she is a pawn. So to what extent is she a pawn? To what extent is she a puppet once she has agreed to become queen? Because the moment she agrees to that, she then has a degree of power that she did not previously have. Right. And we see that on the next day. So, I mean, again, our sources are quite limited, but we get a sense of it um, and a sense of what how things might have worked out on the next day. So on Monday, the 10th of July, she is proclaimed queen in the city. So this is the big moment when, you know, the heralds or whatever pitch up and the big crowd and they sort of shout that she is the, the king is dead. There is the queen. And people are kind of surprised, I think. A lot of the crowds are taken aback. They're, they're ex- sort of expecting it would be Mary, but it's Jane. Am I right, Dominic? Am I right that uh, normally when this is done, it's quite a brief announcement? It's basically, you know, the king's dead, God save the king, all that kind of stuff. But with th- with when, when Jane's an, um, accession is announced, it's quite long. They have to explain it. And if you're explaining, you're losing, aren't you? It's the classic thing. I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. Mary has a very simple, straightforward, clear case. And Jane doesn't. With Jane, you have to always explain why she's queen, why these other people yeah. have been cut out. Yeah. And I think that is obviously a problem from the very beginning. However, we'll come on to Mary in a second. Just, just stick with Jane and her story. M- most people, I think, assume that the ambassadors and so on, the courtiers, she's got all the big men of the realm behind her. You know, she's, she's going to prevail. This isn't actually going to be terribly contested. This is going to work out. There's no rioting in London. People aren't sort of roaring and rampaging through the streets. But there's no great enthusiasm, is there? No, there isn't a great enthusiasm. But don't forget, you know, Henry VIII had married wives. uh, There'd been never any great enthusiasm for Anne Boleyn. In fact, when Anne Boleyn had had gone through the streets, when she would been crowned, she had complained to Henry VIII and said, everybody hates me and, you know, no one is cheering. So to have that, that's not unprecedented. Um, you know, and it, once you're crowned, once it's happened, I mean, who cares if no one's cheering? You're the queen. They stage a big spectacle, as you would expect. Um, she arrives in splendor at the Tower of London. She's splendidly dressed. Um, all the family are there. All the bigwigs are there. G- Guildford is there. Right. Okay. So, so on the question of her family, there are two things, aren't there? The first is that her mother is carrying her train 
And this right. upsets people because it's see the mother acting as the servant to the daughter upends propriety. And in an age yes. where propriety is incredibly important, this is seen as very sinister. But the other thing is, is essentially she refuses to allow Guilford to, to become king, doesn't yeah. she? I mean, this is, this is a key point. So she's given all the sort of the stuff when she arrives in the royal lodgings. But one of the things she's given is the crown. And interestingly, she refuses to put the crown on. Now, one reason for that might be that she feels very, you know, she still feels very conflicted about accepting the royal title. But another reason is that she doesn't like the idea of Guildford having a crown. And she actually explicitly says at this point, you know, he's not going to be king. When I'm, you know, it's, when it's all done and dusted, I'm going to make him Duke of Clarence. So in other words, he'll be, he'll be Prince Philip. We were talking in the last episode about King Guildford. Yeah. It might well never have happened, even if she had. Well, the Duchess of Northumberland, so Guildford's mother at this point, has a massive strop. And says, <laughs> As you would. <laughs> yeah. And says, what's, what's, um, yeah, yeah, precisely. And actually, there are sort of, do you know what she threatens Jane with? She says, my son won't sleep with you if you, um, if you don't make him king. Uh, now, who's to say how things would have worked, how this would have been resolved? Um, you can't have run. a king called Guildford. <laughs> <laughs> king Basingstoke. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. Listeners from Guildford, please address your complaints to Tom, not to me. I, I think Guildford is a brilliant name for a king. You, you can't have a king named after a sleepy Surrey commuter town. Do you know what it sounds It sounds like an American name, Tom, doesn't it? Guildford, Guildford Dudley. Dudley. The fourth. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it does. Well, Guildford, I mean, Guildford is trying to act as a king, by the way, on this. So this is day one. I am king. <laughs> Jane. He's, Jane, tell them I'm king. <laughs> I am king. Um, Jane is very uncomfortable with the whole business. Now, one reason why um, she may be uncomfortable, why there is also a, se- a sense of disquiet around, is a message has arrived from Mary. Mary has vanished. You know, Mary has gone. Right. And hadn't Northumberland tried to lure her in beforehand? By kind of she had, but shambolically. Should... And I think this is what proves to me, Tom, or suggests to me that this Northumberland, and we talked about this in the previous episode, so Jane's father-in-law, the guy who had been basically Edward VI, right hand, the person who's thought of as mastermind. The hand the of the king. Yeah, the hand of the king, precisely. Yeah. This is what suggests that he really hasn't masterminded this plot from the very beginning, because if he had, it would have been sensible to get Mary under lock and key and secure her person before putting all this in train. And he hasn't done that. Now, I think one reason he hasn't done that is because he's improvising. And the second reason is that everybody completely underestimates Mary. Dominic, just before we carry on with, with Mary, just a question from Joe Johnson. What is Elizabeth doing during Grey's Nine Days? She doesn't seem to offer Mary any practical support in reclaiming the throne. Is she effectively waiting to see if Northumberland takes Mary out for her? Could Elizabeth have mounted a credible military challenge for the crown if that had happened? Or does she wholeheartedly support Mary's claim at this point? I think Elizabeth needs Mary. So Elizabeth is kind of absent from the scene, but she comes into Mary in, into London yeah. with Mary at the beginning of August in triumph. Because if Mary goes, then her claim is gone as well. Yeah, precisely. So basically, it, uh, Jane succeeding is not good news for Elizabeth because Elizabeth is out. And if Jane then has children, Elizabeth is completely forgotten. So remember, uh, it's not just Mary as a Catholic who's been got rid of by the Jane stratagem. It is Mary and Elizabeth as illegitimate. 
Um, so, so it's in Elizabeth's interest for Jane to fail. Absolutely. Northumberland obviously thinks, and the others think, I mean, this is, so Mary, we talked in the previous episode about Henry VIII being at the center of the story, Edward VI, but obviously ultimately it becomes a story about Mary. And if you want to tell it as a, it's often a story of a kind of female victim, but it's also the story of a female winner of somebody mm-hmm. who's actually been a victim and suddenly turns the table. So Mary, all her life, 37 years, everybody has written her off as this, just this pitiful drip, you know? She's been, everyone's abused her. They've taken her mother away. They've, they've told her that her religion is rubbish. They've harangued her, her own, as we said, uh, brother. Yeah. That fantastic impersonation from the previous <laughs> episode, which will stay with many listeners. I want you to become a Protestant. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sixth, Edward the sixth, but trying to boss her around. Yeah. And, um, uh, most of the ambassadors here in London, who are our best sources, so they're, they're the ambassador to France, ambassador to the empire. They um, they basically say, mm, Mary's a bit of a loser, you know, she's probably not going to prevail in this. The one chance she prob they think, Northumberland's big worry, actually, I think, realistically, is he thinks the empire, so that's the Holy Roman Empire in Spain, um, Charles V, uh, the great, and one of the two great superpowers, so the two superpowers of France and the empire, he thinks, you know, the empire might try to intervene to in a succession war but you know what he's done he's already squared it with the french who were the counterweight the french are quite happy with jane becoming queen isn't charles v writing to his ambassador and saying who who is this jane person exactly you know what's the family tree um so it's good to know that everyone was a bit confused exactly they're as confused as our listeners from the previous episode (laughs) Uh, and indeed as us um so so Mary has vanished. And actually what Mary has done is Mary has shot off into, to where she gone to? Was it Framlingham? To Framlingham, Framlingham isn't, it? isn't it? So Framlingham is in Suffolk. She's shot off into East Anglia and she's thinking very fast. But at this stage, they don't know that. They think, I think Northumberland thinks, oh, everyone knew Mary would create a great fuss, but who cares about her? She's just a loser. She'll probably, you know, she'll probably manage to whip up a few hundred peasants some sort of mad Catholic squires or something, and we will just be able to disperse them. You know, it's the usual story of Mary always complaining. Moan, moan, moan. Yeah, moan, 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 who cares? So what then happens in the next few days? Jane is in the tower with Guildford. (laughs) And, you know, presumably we don't know, we don't really know what they're doing, but I assume relations are not. Uh, a bit frosty a bit frosty because yeah. he's still he's still very keen on being king but anyway they're both teenagers you know classic I mean this yeah. just teenage behaviour going on in, in the town leave me alone <laughs> yeah and meanwhile Northumberland uh, who is you know appears to be the master of the situation he makes an absolutely fatal mistake and that is he says we need to obviously take some troops go up and like, secure Mary crush whatever little pitiful rebellion she's got going on in East Anglia. Um, and he has the choice. Does he send someone to do it or does he do it himself? And we said in the previous episode, he's a military man. He's used to commanding. Yeah. He says, I'll do it. I'll take them. And, it, and so I'll do it myself. And so he leaves the capital at the end of that week on Friday, the 14th of July. Um, and it, the probable expectation is that either he'll secure Mary or she'll just flee. She'll take ship to and go off and spend her time moping around the court of Charles V. 
and he's he's leading a um a land expedition isn't he but he also dispatches um some a, ships a fleet. and these a fleet and the, and these are armed with guns crucially crucially and this is the fear of imperial intervention so basically the the fleet is has been sent round the coast to try and block any attempt by imperial ships to you know from the low countries to supply her with men or to land you know reinforcements or something like this and he he takes crucially tom he takes cavalry and he takes some guns himself but not a huge amount of infantry because he thinks it'll probably she'll probably be with some sort of mob of demented norfolk suffolk peasants and if we just shoot some guns at them and show the men on horses they'll run away they'll run away and it'll be fine there's no obviously we're not gonna be fighting any massive battles so off he goes. He gets to Cambridge on the the fifteenth, and at this point, there are sort of reports. It's clear that the country is not happy, and and why isn't the country happy? Well, because a lot of people probably have never even heard of Jane, barely. Yeah. You know, they don't really. But everyone knows Mary because Mary is the great hard done by sob story of Henry VIII's realm. So, I mean, on the, on the question of legitimacy and a question we'll come back to, I'm sure, because it's the big question, was Jane really a queen? Was she legitimate? I mean, a crucial part of, of a king or a queen's legitimacy basically depends on whether, whether people think you're the king or the queen, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And if they don't think you're the queen, then basically you're not. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right, Tom. As much as people will argue about the legal niceties or the sort of theological niceties, the fact of the matter is, if the public don't think you're the king or queen, yeah. then you're not. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that, that it works yeah. on pop on, on consent yeah. to some degree. Now, of course, constitutional experts will say, "Oh no, 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 it works because of important genealogical." But I mean, if the public are not listening, there's nothing really you can do about it. And what is absolutely clear, I think, is that irrespective of their religious views, most people deep down thought that well, Mary and Elizabeth were legitimate. They knew that Henry VIII had married their mothers. I mean, they're not yeah. stupid. Yeah. But also, I mean, just to say, despite Edward's patronage of of, um, of the Reformation and uh, the degree, the lengths to which he'd gone, I mean, it's still quite a minority sport, isn't it? I mean, people well, are kind of buying into it, but but it's it's not something that has that has has as yet become so bedded down yeah, that it's come to define how the English see themselves. Which, of course, in due course, it will. Yeah, I think there's a huge amount of fluidity. I mean, for for older people, certainly they've seen you know religions come and go basically, and because Henry VIII kept changing his mind and changing the rules about prayer books and all these sort of things. I mean, I do so, think I do think that you know the, there is perhaps a, a faint sense in which the the parallels between today and the 16th century are not entirely tendentious because they're coming from the same kind of wellsprings, and rather in the same way that. You know things that are, that that are cutting edge in academic circles and so on are really cutting through to the general public, but they haven't yeah. absolutely bedded down yet. And there's still a lot of resistance. There's you know lots of people are unhappy about it, and lots of people don't really understand it or really know anything about it at I all. Think that's right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I would right. guess you could say that the situation there is kind of perhaps gives you a sense of what the mood is like. In England, I mean, obviously, you know, mutatis mutandis, of course, but um, it's there's a certain degree there. There are lots of people who probably don't really, I mean, not, don't care is perhaps the wrong expression because, of course, everybody's Christian, but are probably not 
massively au fait with the theological. Yeah. It's just a, a little babble to them and they just want to get along with their lives. I think there's also the Catholic Protestant thing has not probably for a lot of people has not really hardened into two camps. So they know that Mary is loyal to the old ways, the former religious practices, but they don't see that as illegitimate or toxic or un-British, un-English rather, or any of those things. You know, there are quite a lot of people who are upset at just how far Edward's reforms have gone, who are upset at seeing statues smashed and the rude screens pulled down and all this kind of stuff, and they want them back. They liked all that stuff, yeah. and they thought, yeah. why, why have these sort of, they probably think, why have all these foreign influence nutters who are far too yeah. enthusiastic about their religion smashed all our nice stuff that, you know, our ni- yeah. as you say, a nice rude screen that we had saved up for in the church and we'd all contributed to. So, yes, I agree. So, so, so it's not, as you say, it's not absolutely set in concrete yet. So Mary, despite the fact that she's Catholic, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's her Catholicism is less significant to people than the fact that she is Henry VIII's eldest child. So while, um, what's his name, Northumberland is, is marching into East Anglia, what's Mary doing? So Mary is sending out letters. And actually, when you look at the correspondence, she is, it, her letters often don't even mention religion. They just say, she's, ab- you know, I'm absolutely the legitimate heir. I'm the legal heir. Um, and she Which is, is very strategically the right thing to do, right? It's absolutely strategically the right thing. I mean, it's, she plays a very, you know, she plays politically a very canny game. Her, it seems that basically her, her campaign, the people running it are Catholics. They're the people around her. And there's a sort of conservative network that it, that it spreads along. You know, the people disseminate the letters and they carry messages and all that sort of stuff. But she's backed by lots of Protestants. And there are lots of people who have got, you know, there are always people in 16th century and who are grievances against the regime. And particularly now, this is why it's really important that she's in East Anglia. She had a lot of support in East Anglia. She had land in East Anglia. She'd taken over the old affinity of the Dukes of Norfolk. She'd taken over a lot of that kind of network. So Framlingham had, had, had been owned by the Howards, the, the Dukes exactly, of Exactly, the Howard network. She'd taken that, one of the most powerful networks in England. Um, the boss of it, Duke of Norfolk, he's, he's in the Tower of London. He's been disgraced. Yeah. But she's taken that over in his absence. He was due to be executed, wasn't he, the day after Edward VI dies, I think. Is that right? I, I didn't know. I'd, I'd missed that detail. Yeah, so that's a lucky escape for him. It is a lucky escape for him. But she's also, East Anglia also matters because there have been lots of risings against enclosures. So, the pra- so for people who don't know, this is the practice of big landowners enclosing land with fences and hedges and things to stop the common people using it. So very, very unpopular with the sort of ordinary folk. And there'd been a great uprising called Ketz uh, Rebellion. Um, against this and that had been put down by none other than the duke of northumberland so basically in that area everybody hates him whether they're catholic protestant or you know whatever they are so mary is getting more and more support and what clearly happens is that so northumberland had marched out of london on friday the 14th and he's got to cambridge uh, he, he, he stays in Cambridge. He's hoping to get reinforcements on Tuesday the 18th. So just over a week into Jane's reign, he marches out of Cambridge and he's off, he thinks, to confront Mary in her ragtag band. And the next day, Wednesday, he falls back. He, he's, he unaccountably, it seems, returns to Cambridge. So it's like he's lost his nerve. What's going on? Well, what's going on is this issue of the fleet that you had talked about before. Another of his disastrous errors is sending that fleet 
to um, forestall imperial intervention. Some of the fleet have deserted with those guns that you mentioned. Yeah. Now they haven't done that because they're all you know raging aficionados of the Bishop of Rome. They've done that because they haven't been paid. <laughs> and yeah. basically, Mary's agents say, "Oh, haven't you been paid? We'll oh, pay you. well, we'll we'll yeah. pay you." Yeah, give us your guns. Come on, join the, you know, she's the legitimate heir. And uh, Northumberland, so this Machiavellian conspirator, you know, he, he he knows he can't defeat Mary with all these guns and the fleet. He's falling back. And the same day, Wednesday the 19th, is the same day that a lot of the Privy Council back in London with Northumberland not there. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. They're like, mm, this is this, this, <laughs> yeah. not working out. This hasn't, this hasn't gone as we'd thought. So Eric Ives in his book says, one, the key factor is this is the moment where basically they have to decide, are they going to raise troops themselves to help him or are they not going to? And actually, when it comes to push times to shove. Yeah, not doing something's easier, isn't it? Not doing something is easier. You know, and they start thinking, you know what? I mean, it was a stupid, the public, you know, they're getting reports in from kind of gentry people that they know yeah. saying, you know, Jane, who the, who's Jane? I mean, you know, why yeah. are we backing Mary? And they start to it's – like, it's like the sort of strange alchemy of a, of a particularly bitter Tory leadership race. Yes. You know, you, yeah. You, yeah. we always hated him. T- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we exactly. never voted for him. Yeah, I never <laughs> liked that. Everything he did was rubbish. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. They're Sajid Javid in this analogy yeah. is what they are. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the councillors on that morning, Wednesday morning, they say, actually, we've changed our minds. We never really backed Jane. And so that afternoon, yet again, you know, in the city of London, somebody proclaims, oh, it's actually Mary who's who's queen. (laughs) And this time the city goes, the city is delighted. The city, and I think that's in a a weird way, you know, this is a very long running story because the England had always been very, very favorable to Catherine of Aragon, you know, People had loved Catherine of Aragon. She was really popular. And people had always felt really sorry for her. So when she was being shuttled around all the various houses that Henry VIII sent her to, there would always be crowds weeping and shouting, you know, God bless you, mom, and all this sort of thing. Yeah. And this is basically how people think of Mary as well. They don't think of her as Bloody Mary. They think of poor old Mary, and finally she's going to get her chance in the limelight. So there's bonfires and there's bells. Of course, poor old Jane. What's she doing? She's just sitting in the tower squabbling with Guildford. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and she's just completely forgotten in all this. I mean, that's the sort of the question before the about her agency. Yeah. She has no agency at all. She's just sitting there in the tower. And eventually people say to, oh, you know what? You're not queen after all. You know, Sorry. It was all a mistake. Yeah. So, um, And Northumberland gets arrested in Cambridge, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He's, he, again, it's interesting. He supposedly this sinister kind of bearded Machiavel. Yeah, and his he just doublet and hose. Yeah, he just completely rolls over. Oh dear, you know, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> Whoops. And, and yeah. a, I, I mean, Mary takes her time. She makes this triumphant progress and she comes into London on the 3rd of August, you know, with Elizabeth at her side. Because obviously this is in Elizabeth's interests. Yeah. So the, the whole, the nine day, 13 day, issue well let's let's call it nine days so nine days from when she gets told that she's queen although if you think she was queen then obviously it's 13 day span yeah on what day does she kind of is she told you're not queen 
in a kind of official way. What's the guillotine that drops down that makes it the 13th or 9th day? I think it's the 19th, the 19th, because it's the Privy Council. That's when the Privy Council proclaim Mary is. So the Privy Council basically say no. And so she gets told you're no longer queen and she's already in the tower. And of course, the tower can be simultaneously a palace. Yeah. And a prison, and it's pretty much what happens, I guess, to the princes in the tower. That you know, one minute is, they're yeah. one minute they're royal, and the next minute they're one, you know, one minute you're in a luxury hotel, the <laughs> next minute you're in the basement, yeah. <laughs> chained to a radiator. Yeah. Well, it's not that bad, is it? I mean, they're not they're not treated like you know they're treated with the the dignity appropriate to their work rank. And of course, you know, Mary was very fond of her, right? I mean, Mary well, doesn't is- want to execute her. No, no, not at all. Um, so she gets put up, as is often the way, she gets put up in the sort of jailer's house and she has servants and she has dinner with the jailer. And I think she hobnobs a little bit with Guildford at the beginning. <laughs> I don't know where the relations have improved. Well, I think they're starting, no, I think it does improve. Because yeah. well, it, the issue she, now- she starts to refer to him as my Guildford. Yeah. Well, of course, yes, we'll, we'll come on. I to love this. you, Jane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always loved you, Jane. I never wanted to be king. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um mary once she's installed she explicitly says to a, a foreign visitor who records this he says are you gonna what are you gonna do you're gonna pardon people are you gonna try them how are you gonna handle this and she says as to jane of suffolk whom they had tried to make queen she i mary could not be induced to consent that she should die Three days before they went to fetch her from Sion House to take her to the tower, this is Jane, and make her entry into the town as usurping queen, she knew nothing of it, nor was she ever a party, nor did she ever give her consent. So Mary explicitly says, my conscience will not allow me to execute this child. Okay, so Dominic, what what everyone knows about Lady Jane Grey is that she does end up having her head chopped off. So I think we should take a break at this point. And when we come back, we'll look at how it is that Jane does end up losing a head. We'll be back after the break and carry on with this tragic story. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use gift mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. (laughs) 
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome back to The Rest is History. Um, the coup, Northumberland's coup, has been defeated. Lady Jane Grey has gone from being uh, a royal inhabitant of the Tower to being a prisoner, and Mary is now queen. And Dominic, uh, you were talking before the break about how Mary is pretty sympathetic to Jane's situation, doesn't want to have her executed, even though she has clearly been guilty by Mary's light of, of treason because she's been signing herself as queen and all kinds of stuff like that. However, uh, before we get to, to Jane, Northumberland, uh, what happens to him? Because if Mary's quite fond of Jane, she's absolutely not fond of Northumberland. Yes. So Northumberland is tried in um, Westminster Hall on the 18th of August. So, so you know, less than Pretty a quick. month after yeah. after Mary's triumphant entry into um, into London. And, and to add insult to injury, he's tried by all the people who had previously agreed to his plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's a very common Tudor experience. That's classic it? Tudor behavior, isn't it? So, so all the yeah. people who were kind of slapping you on the back yesterday <laughs> and playing bowls with you and stuff are, are declaring you guilty to, yeah, tomorrow or yeah. something. So this is exactly what happens. He is, um, he basically says, and he says to them, how can you be my judges? I mean, you were, you were in on the deal. Yeah. And, they they say oh no no no, no that's, that's complete fake news sweet summer uh, child <laughs> uh, and so um, he what happens to him is quite interesting he he is meant to be executed I think on the twenty first of August and first thing in the morning and it's cancelled at the last minute and he gives his confession he takes Catholic mass. And he says, I've made a series of terrible mistakes. <laughs> um, the, the Protestantism was all a dreadful, <laughs> dreadful error. <laughs> Hurrah for the Pope. <laughs> yeah. So he does this. And is he doing that to try and keep his 
ensure that his family don't lose their right to inherit? Quite possibly, yes. So the historians aren't sure. Some people think he did it because he hoped for a pardon. Um, hence the cancellation, which is very unusual of the execution. And they think then he was kind of double-crossed, that the Mary and the authorities didn't deliver on their end of the bargain. Some people think he did this, as you say, to protect his family so that vengeance wouldn't go down the generations. As indeed it didn't, did it? Uh, no, it didn't, exactly. So why the Dudleys continue to be very powerful. But he is... Um, Yes, he is. He is executed after all. Uh, it was in the next day, so in front of ten thousand people. Um, now, interestingly, so he has his head cut off. Interestingly, Jane, who is in the tower, is absolutely outraged by his behaviour in recanting. She can't get over it, and she actually spends. I mean, this is going back to the, what we were talking about in the first episode about how is Jane really that clever? Is she very well read? Is she very serious? She clearly takes this really seriously because she says. How could he have taken the mass? How could he have gone along with yeah. transubstantiation? Well, she's absolutely a believer. She spends most of her time in the town and arguing about wafers and the body <laughs> and blood of Christ. I mean, this is this is like a real, you know, she if she were a teenager now, she'd be on TikTok talking about She really would, yeah. About the communion and about the details of, of communion or something. She takes it so seriously. She'd be she'd be talking about white privilege, I think. She might, yes. She, that would be the new. That's exactly what she'd be talking. She's very, very earnest, isn't she? Um, and actually, you, at this stage, things are going to be all right for her. Probably in the long run, she'd have been pardoned, I think. And I think Mary would have probably let her out eventually. But it's actually Mary that does for Jane in a sort of roundabout way because Mary um, – decides to marry she she's very keen on this marriage alliance with philip of spain charles v's son and everybody in england thinks this is an awful idea and hates philip of spain hates the idea of a spanish marriage and it's partly this marriage plan to philip that that provokes a rebellion against mary uh the beginning of the following year 1554 so late January is what was called. But by this point, Jane has actually been convicted and Guildford have both been convicted, haven't they? They've been convicted, that's true. But they've been convicted with the expectation that they will be pardoned. Be commuted, yeah. So, exactly, or commuted, exactly. So she was tried in November and she was given the death penalty. She showed no reaction. But I think one reason she may have shown no reaction is that she, she may well have thought it probably won't happen. You know, she may have been told that it won't happen. She's the kind of model of uh, a Protestant sobriety and holiness in that, isn't she? She kind of wears black and reads the Psalms and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So cuts, cuts a very good dash. She's, um, she's a great poster girl for the Protestant cause, actually. Yeah. You know, she's, she's perfect. Um, and we'll perhaps come on later in the, towards the end of this, this bit of the episode um, to talk about why she wasn't a bigger, you know, why isn't she more well-known, um, which is an interesting question. But anyway, so so she's got this kind of sentence hanging over her that's probably going to be suspended, and then yeah. there is um, a rebellion led yeah. by uh, led by the son of a poet, isn't it? Yeah, Thomas Wyatt, the poet. So Thomas Wyatt Junior, I suppose he would be called now. Yeah. Thomas Wyatt the younger, he leads the rebellion. Her father, I mean, disastrously and unbelievably foolishly, they all get involved. I mean, why would you do that? Well, they do that because they're true believers, I suppose. They they're they're proper Protestants. They don't like Mary. They, um, they they believe in it, and maybe they think they're going to. The, the rebellion is a shambles. Mary's able to put it down, and at that point, Mary basically, why does she get rid of Jane? Well, and well, Dominic, before that, uh, so Henry Gray, 
her father. He has his head chopped off. And you know yeah. that it, it was kind of preserved, a bit like Oliver Cromwell's head. No, I did not. And I think it got fa- it got found in a crypt. When was it found? I think in the 19th century. And it got buried quite recently. And where is it now? Some church in London. Oh. So I just throw that out as a kind of interesting tidbit. We should go and uh, visit it on one of your walks, Tom. I might do that, yes. Yeah. Yes, to the head walk. Um, um. So Jane, Mary basically says she's got to go. Yeah, exactly what, exactly what happens. Um, so she had poor old Guildford. <laughs> I've got to go. Yeah, so Guildford has his head chopped off first, doesn't she? So he this does. is when Jane says, my poor Guildford. Yes, exactly. She so. sees him walk out. Here's the chop. <laughs> and, then, and then sees his headless corpse being come back. She, she supposedly watches the whole thing. So the audience is quite, the, the crowd is quite small. There's not a lot of people there as there had been for some big sort of executions. So her, in Northumberland, there were 10,000 people that we don't know, but probably not that many people to watch Jane's. Guildford goes first. The ladies in waiting say to Jane, don't watch, you know, don't look for God's sake. She watches the whole thing and says, oh, Guildford, Guildford, in that very moving way that I've just done. And then um, she goes down. She's all in black. As you said, she's got a prayer book. She's very composed. And she gives this very kind of, you know, the classic Tudor execution speech. But it's very, I mean, in the long run, it's upsetting, isn't it? So she does give this speech and, and she's incredibly brave. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no hint of, I mean, I just begin, <laughs> there's nothing, none of that at all. Um, yeah. And the executioner asks her forgiveness and she gives yeah. it. And she says, you know, please make it swift. And he, he says that he will. Um, and then she gets blindfolded. Oh, it's an awful moment, this, isn't it? And then she can't find the block. Yeah. She can't find the block. But just, I mean, and she cries out, what shall I do? Where is it? And, you know, one of the guys has to kind of help her towards it. And then she lays her head on the block. I mean, I can't imagine how the unbelievable horror of having to compose yourself to have to give this speech. I mean, the fo- the formula, there is a set formula, which is that you confess your sins and you basically, it's expected that you say, even if you don't think you are guilty, you say you're guilty as people always did. Um, she gives this speech and actually there's a couple of things that would appeal to you, Tom, because she's still doing theological um, argument yeah, in to, her to speech. The end. So she says, uh, I look to be saved by no other means, but by the mercy of God and the merits of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, i.e. salvation by faith alone, which is very Protestant. And then at the end, she also says, good people, while I'm alive, I pray you to assist me with your prayers, i.e. don't bother praying for me after I'm dead. Not after I'm dead. Yeah. Because that's a mad papist superstition. Papist tosh. So she's still going. Yeah. Right at the end, she's still going and she's still got this composure. But then, as you say, when I think the executioner blindfolds her, I mean, that must be a, I mean, being blindfolded is scary anyway. And that must be the moment when the panic, yeah, the horror kind of, you know, really breaks in. Somebody guides her to the block. Um, and then she says, Lord, in the, to thy hands, I commend my spirit. And then bang, her head is cut off. Okay. So, Dominic, a question from Archive of the Past, and it's the obvious question. Had she lived, would she have been a good ruler? Impossible to know. Absolutely impossible to know. But it's looking quite good, I would say. She's clever. She's she's modest. She's rude. She understood, you know, not to give in to Guildford, for instance. I mean, that's quite... But, but Tom, the two female rulers that um, England had in the 16th century, Mary and Elizabeth, were so seasoned by comparison with Jane, weren't they? I mean, Mary had mm. suffered for almost 40 years um, 
and had been had so much time. Elizabeth had also sort of been through the ringer, had nearly you know been in fear of her life. Yeah. Um, Jane is so callow by comparison, no matter how clever she is. And she's got the problem of the Northumberland family, the Dudley family. I mean, that would have been a massive issue, wouldn't it, don't you think, in the long run? So related to that question from Douglas Fife, I'm really interested in whether there is an alternate timeline where she could have held onto the throne. Was there any way it could have happened or was Mary's succession always guaranteed? I think there's definitely an alternative timeline. And that timeline is one in which Northumberland seizes Mary first, probably Elizabeth as well. Uh, he's more ruthless. Um, if they're seized and they're immediately thrown into the tower and then, you know, there's no uprising or something to free them, then she's queen at the end of the year and then she's queen. Right. But she does have her head chopped off. And so um, earlier you posed the question of why, why is she not kind of celebrated more as a martyr? Well, I think it's because of Elizabeth, because she messes with the Mary Elizabeth narrative, doesn't she? Because if Jane is the great martyr, then Elizabeth's not legitimate. Yeah. Um, and if if Elizabeth is legitimate, then what's Jane even doing there? And I think that's the that's the issue. I think you can imagine a scenario in which Elizabeth had dropped dead or something, and Mary is succeeded by somebody else, and they then said, "Oh, poor old Jane. Oh, she really was a queen." That this is one reason I think why she's not considered a queen. Because it's not in Elizabeth's interests at all to consider her a queen. So let's let's return to Sander Fearon's question, which we open with: Should Lady Jane Grey be considered a queen? Because she isn't, is she? She's not. You know, you have all those tea towels and rulers yeah. and things and mugs showing all the kings and queens of England, and maybe there's one or two in which Queen Jane pops up, but she she's not generally counted. Uh, do you think that's reasonable? Fair. Um, in, in a way, it doesn't. I, I, I knew we were going to discuss this, and I was trying to figure out what I thought. And in a way, it doesn't matter what we think, <laughs> because I mean, just as you said before, if nobody thinks you're a king, then you're not a king. So that's that would be my, my answer. The fact yeah. that she is not considered to be a queen proves she wasn't a queen, and the kind of you know the constitutional legalities of it are irrelevant. Because if you're not considered a queen, you're not a queen. In the same way that Matilda, you know, back in the in the 12th century. There was a legal case, you know, Henry I was her father. He wanted her to become queen. She was constantly zipping this way and that, running around in her night clothes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But she's never considered to be a queen because, you know, she's not rated as queen because people don't think she's a queen. And same with Lady Jane, I think. If you don't have your own entry in the Lady Bird, Kings and Queens of England, then you're not. And I think the truth of the matter is, I mean, you all know this better, far better than me, but with Roman emperors, there were lots of pretenders and usurpers and things people called i don't know basiliscus or something in the eastern roman empire um are they all counted i mean sometimes they were emperor for they they ruled parts of the empire properly in a more meaningful way than jane did and they're still not really counted in the lists i would say with this she's in inverted as queen for such a short period of time she spends the whole of it pretty much cooped up in the tower of london with poor guilford I mean, I'm not sorry, <laughs> yeah. not going to count him as king. That's for, that's yeah, for sure. No, we're certainly not. I mean, and I think that um, what you say about the way that both Mary and Elizabeth had an absolute interest in writing her out of the story. I mean, they couldn't completely, but the pathos and the drama and the nobility that she displays on the scaffold, I mean, it has it all. It's one of the great execution scenes. But if you, li- you know, if you had your top three Tudor executions, in terms of their resonance with the public. Yeah. I'd go for Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn's number one, surely. Thomas More. 
Yeah. I hadn't thought of Thomas More. Probably Mary Queen of Scots. I mean, they're all, they're kind of the brand leaders. And Jane's execution is, she's not podiuming. Even Thomas Cromwell, Tom. Or what about Cranmer with his hand in the fire? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think Jane suffers, doesn't she? Because the, the Tudors have a surfeit of heroines. So um, people choose their favorite wife of Henry VIII. Yeah. Well, we're going back to the way in which everyone, everyone's female. Yeah. So, um, and she's eclipsed ultimately by Elizabeth, I suppose, as a Protestant yep. heroine. I mean, there was a brilliant painting. I mean, I expect both of us, by the time this goes out, both of us will probably have used this painting to publicize the episode on a social media by a French painter called Paul de la Roche. It's the most famous single image of Lady Jane Grey, and it was done in 1834. It's the one where she's groping after the block, isn't it? And she's been Yeah, and she's terrified, yeah. and she's surrounded by men in black. And it's this scene of this sort of saintly figure. She's wearing white, and that, which is completely wrong. Um, so it's this sort of this maiden almost suffering the kind of violation of the violence of the men. But it, but it is the most upsetting moment, isn't it, in the story? Yeah, it, it is. is the single most upsetting moment in the story. Um, and that painting was clearly influenced by the the execution of Marie Antoinette. So it's kind of merging the two. But it does. I think there's something about Jane's story which is different from a lot of these. So Anne Boleyn had, you know, she she conspired effectively to get herself to the top. You know, Cromwell, Moore. They were men of politics. They knew the rules of the game. Jane was forced into a game completely against her will really her tears were more than justified absolutely they were i know tom are you i mean are you are you feeling moved at the end of this uh double header yeah i am um yeah oddly it's the detail that she had freckles oh i think what a lot of people take from this tom is that thing at the very beginning of the first episode where we agreed that if we were catapulted back into tudor england i would be chosen as king <laughs> mm. But I don't think it's just because of the sun. I think it's also because of my immense martial qualities. <laughs> I, I see myself as kind of Henry VII figure. Do you? Devious, cold, chill, calculating. What am I? Henry VIII. <laughs> yeah, you just uh, charge over a cliff. <laughs> that would be right. my expectation. Well. Probably unfair. Very unfair. I suspect both of us would end up on the block, to be honest. I think we would. I think if I was anybody... I think, and I know this is a terrible cliche, and I apologise to everybody, but I think I probably would be Thomas Cromwell. <laughs> in your dreams. And, in your and dreams. Tom, you are so Thomas More. <laughs> you can't deny that. <laughs> On that ludicrous You're, note. I mean, he's uh, wearing a hair shirt as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> the patron saint of politicians, Dominic. The patron saint of yeah, politicians. Yeah, that does not. On, yeah. that, on that note of ludicrous self-promotional <laughs> fantasy from Dominic Sandbrook, we will say, uh, we'll bid you farewell. Uh, and we will be back soon thanks very much for listening bye 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 thanks for listening to the rest is history for bonus episodes early access ad free listening and access to our chat community please sign up at restishistorypod.com that's restishistorypod.com dot com.